Hi, I'm Kasha Busalian, the producer for Opinion Has It. Often when we're recording, we end up asking questions that are really interesting, but don't make it into our final episode, either because of time constraints or maybe they're just a bit off topic. But rather than letting this all just sit as extra tape on our hard drive, we want to turn these questions into outtakes. So here's our first one. Last week, we published an episode with Ambassador William Burns, a career diplomat who served for 33 years in the U.S. Foreign Service. We asked him about the future of the Iran nuclear deal. But from 2005 to 2008, Bill Burns was the ambassador to Russia. Our host, Almira Bey-Rosley, asked him what he had to say about the relationship between the U.S. and Russia. You've spent some, quite some time in Russia as a junior foreign service officer and then more recently as the ambassador to Russia. And you've spent a lot of time focusing in on and engaging with Vladimir Putin. We in the West tend to blame Vladimir Putin for the denigration of our relations between the United States and Russia, but also between Russia and the West in general. Surely, that's not just one-sided. We can't put the blame all on Vladimir Putin. The West surely bears responsibility for that relationship as well. Um, what have U.S. presidents and foreign policymakers misunderstood about Russia, and how has that affected that bilateral relationship? Well, as you suggested, you know, I spent a good bit of the last three decades um, engaged one way or another in, in U.S.-Russian relations without obviously making much of a positive dent um, in that very complicated relationship. Putin himself is an incredibly difficult leader to deal with, an incredibly challenging leader. I vividly remember my first meeting with Putin as the newly arrived U.S. ambassador in 2005. There's a ceremony called presenting your credentials, where you bring a letter from the American president to present to the letter of, to the president of Russia. It takes place in the Kremlin, which is built on a scale meant to intimidate visitors and especially newly arrived ambassadors. You walk through these very long corridors through huge halls. And at the end of one hall, you come up against these two-story bronze doors. And you're kept waiting there for a minute just to let this all sink in. Then the door opens a crack. Out comes Vladimir Putin, president of Russia. Now, Putin, despite his bare-chested persona, um, is not an especially intimidating figure individually. He's about five six, But he carries himself with great self-assurance. And so he comes walking toward me, looking me dead in the eyes as is his want. Um, and before I could hand the letter over or get a word out of my mouth, he said, you Americans need to listen more. You can't have everything your own way anymore. We can have effective relations, but not just on your terms. That was vintage Putin, not subtle, a big chip on his shoulder, a sense of grievance about the ways in which he believed, and lots of people in the Russian political elite believed that the United States had taken advantage of Russia's moment of historical weakness in the 1990s. And it was kind of defiantly charmless, which is also vintage Putin. Putin uh, remains to this day a combustible combination, I think, of grievance and ambition and insecurity. Having served in Russia in the early 1990s in Boris Yeltsin's Russia, I've always thought you can't understand the smoldering aggressiveness of Putin unless you have a sense for the curious mix of hope and humiliation, the sense of disorder that was Russia 
throughout much of the 1990s, a country that was flat on its back, a real sense of humiliation about it as well. You know, Putin came to office, and he's been Russia's leader for almost two decades now, determined to do two things. Um, First was to restore the power of the Russian state in Russia, and second was to restore Russia to the table of major powers, of great powers in the world. I think he has come to the conviction that the best way to do both of those things is to chip away an American-led international order, and in a sense to use the United States as the enemy of the gate at the gates, which justifies, at least in his mind, uh, political repression at home and political control, which is what matters most to him. Could we have managed the relationship better over that quarter century since the end of the Cold War? Sure. I mean, there were times when both we and Russian leaderships talked past each other. There were times when we each indulged in our own illusions. I think in Russia, the sense that, you know, that they they would automatically be treated as a peer of the United States at that table of great powers when power realities after the end of the Cold War suggesting something different. I think we had the illusion that we could always maneuver over or around any Russian leadership, whether it was Yeltsin or Putin. I think we left um, NATO expansion on autopilot, you know, after the initial waves in the 1990s and the early 2000s when we pushed you know, in the spring of 2008 to formally open the doors of NATO to membership by Ukraine and Georgia. You know, that was not just for Putin, for for many in the Russian political elite, the reddest of red lines. And we didn't have the support of some of our closest NATO partners for that, too. So I'm not trying to suggest at all that that was justification for the aggression that Putin launched against Ukraine, for example, in 2014, or Georgia in 2008. Um, But it fed his narrative that the United States was determined to keep Russia down, um, and it suited his purposes in some ways. And he's a counterpuncher. And so when he saw other vulnerabilities, like in our political system, getting back to your question about our dysfunction in the 2016 presidential elections, he tried to take advantage of that, to sow chaos in a system that was already deeply polarized. And of course, he succeeded beyond his wildest imagination. So, you know, as you look ahead, I I think we're going to be operating in terms of Putin's Russia within a pretty narrow range of possibilities from the sharply competitive to the nastily adversarial. We still have to pay attention to guardrails in the relationship, arms control agreements, which are, you know, dying on the vine right now. The INF, the Intermediate Nuclear Range Forces Agreement, I think will end up expiring um, next summer. I think it would be a huge mistake for us to let the New START agreement, which was concluded in the Obama administration and restricts and reduces strategic nuclear weapons to expire in early 2021, because that would remove the last piece of the arms control architecture that even in the worst of the Cold War with the Soviet Union, the Reagan administration, other U.S. administrations worked hard at. Um, and I think that would be, you know, not only a real shame, but, you know, would have real negative consequences for the United States and for Russia, as well as for, you know, the example we set to the rest of the world on proliferation issues as the world's two nuclear superpowers. Thanks for listening. If you haven't already, make sure to subscribe to Opinion Has It. And stay tuned for next week's episode, out on Tuesday.